national leader in integrated healthcare services, Encompass Health offers both facility-based and home-based patient care through its network of inpatient rehabilitation hospitals, home health agencies, and hospice agencies. With a national footprint that includes 134 hospitals, 245 home health locations, and 83 hospice locations in 37 states and Puerto Rico, the company is committed to delivering high-quality, cost-effective, integrated care across the healthcare continuum. Health Encompass Health is ranked as one of the Fortune 100 best companies to work for. Here in Mesa, Encompass Health Rehabilitation Hospital of the East Valley is a 70-bed inpatient rehabilitation hospital that offers comprehensive inpatient services. Encompass Health East Valley is accredited by the Joint Commission and has disease-specific certifications for amputees, brain injury, Parkinson's disease, and stroke rehabilitation. Serving patients throughout the East Valley, the hospital is located at 5652 East Baseline Road. You can learn more about Encompass Health at EncompassHealth.com slash East Valley Rehab. The Mesa Chamber of Commerce Inside Business Podcast brings you a unique view of Mesa through its vibrant business community and the subjects that are important. The podcast is produced in the Mesa Chamber of Commerce Media Studio, sponsored by the University of Phoenix. Our podcast is hosted by Mesa Chamber of Commerce CEO Sally Harrison. Please enjoy this episode of the Mesa Chamber Inside Business Podcast. May is National Stroke Awareness Month, and today we have Lorette Fika, Doctor of Physical Therapy that has experience treating neurological conditions, and Amanda Thundershield, a certified rehabilitation registered nurse with a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, here to bring awareness and discuss important topics related to stroke. Thank you, ladies, for being here. I'm anxious to hear more about this, and um, obviously May is American Stroke Month, so we're, um, we're well, I guess talking about some important topics. Um, this is definitely one of them because it affects so many people. Um, so let's get started. Uh, first question, can you talk about the different types of strokes? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> one of you. <laughs> yes, so there are three different types of strokes. There's um, an ischemic stroke, a hemorrhagic stroke, and then something called a TIA. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a transitional ischemic attack. And um, what does guess that mean the, for everybody like me? Okay, so let me explain a little bit. So an ischemic stroke is basically, um, so stroke is in general is caused by like um, a lack of blood going to the brain. And what mm-hmm. happens is your cells die. And then you, the information that is recorded in your brain kind of dies off and you don't have that information anymore. So what happens is in an ischemic stroke, uh, there is a blood clot that typically will clog an artery and the the lack of oxygen and blood going to the, to the um, brain causes it to die. So the hemorrhagic stroke is more of a blood, blood vessel bursting. Okay. And then there's lack of blood because of that. Um, and then the transi- transitional ischemic attack is mostly a blood clot that is kind of a temporary block. And then it can be resolved either because the blood clot either blood clot moves to another place or um, you can administer medications that will resolve it. And it, it's, not such, it's not going into a full stroke. So you okay. don't really have the, the 
effects of a stroke after. Okay. Sense. Yeah, but a TIA <laughs> is definitely a warning sign. Yeah. Um, my grandmother just had a TIA this weekend. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a it's something to take as a medical emergency. Mm -hmm. um, follow up care, getting on the right medications. Um, you know, a lot of patients ignore those signs and symptoms. It can have the same signs and symptoms as a stroke, um, but a lot of people ignore them because they go away. TIA symptoms can last up to 24 hours. Um, and so people need to take that seriously and not ignore those, um, those signs and symptoms that they're experiencing. What you need to realize is that when you're having the signs and symptoms of a stroke, it means that there's a blood clot already. So your blood is already limited to your brain. Mm -hmm. And the more you wait, it can clog up more and die off or kill more cells. And you're just going to have more um, extreme symptoms. Like okay. it, it gets worse. Like the stroke can be more affected because there's less blood going to your brain. Got it. We'll talk about the risk factors that are associated with strokes. So there's different types of risk factors. There, the non-modifiable risk factors, those are the ones that kind of, they stink for us, you know? It's our age, it's our gender, our race, family history, prior stroke. If you had a TIA or heart attack, those are the things we can't change. So if you have a family history of stroke, mm -hmm. you are um, more at risk to have a stroke. It's those things you can change that you really have to look for. You know, do you have high blood pressure? Are you a smoker? Are you a diabetic? Do you have high cholesterol? Are you physically inactive? Um, obesity, having um, carotid or other artery diseases, atrial fibrillation, which is that rapid heart beating that kind of comes and goes. Um, that's a, a, about 80% of patients with AFib um, end up having a stroke. Uh -huh. um, excessive alcohol use, illegal drug use, and patients with sleep apnea. Those things, it's such a slew of items, but it makes um, such a big difference if you can decrease those risk factors. Mm -hmm. You know, like I mentioned my grandmother, um, she's 83 and it, it's diabetes and high blood pressure, I think is just, and her age, there's no family history, but you look at those three things and I think it just that's it, you know, and she does a good job managing those things the best she can, but mm -hmm. you never know when your blood pressure is going to spike stress or life, sure. you know, it's been a stressful year. Right. And the yeah. problem is, unfortunately, there is no symptoms that really lead up to, to a stroke. Yeah. So if you don't manage those risk factors before, there's really nothing that is going to tell you, you know, you're susceptible or you're almost going to have one. And I do. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said, I do look at stroke as being like, it's non-discriminatory though, because you do have patients. We've had patients that have had no risk factors whatsoever. And um, we had a patient training for a full marathon, no risk factors, didn't even eat meat. And he um, had a stroke and devastated him. And so, but he took the right steps. He saw there was something wrong and went to the emergency room as soon as possible. Well, what are the signs and symptoms of somebody that would be having a stroke? So the American Stroke Association uses the acronym FAST. So F, facial droop, A, arm weakness. If you put your arms out, does one lag or can you not even lift it up? Um, S, speech difficulty, and T is time. Brain is time, time is brain, so call 911. Mm -hmm. um, other symptoms you should be aware of is a severe headache, difficulty seeing, a loss of balance or coordination, 
Um, those are the other items you should be looking for. Do you wake up one day and can you not get out of bed for any reason? Or are you falling more? Um, just uh, like she said, balance problems or, or just some kind of change that wasn't there yesterday. It, it mm -hmm. usually comes up very rapidly. Okay. How can a person prevent having a stroke? So again, changing the risk factors. So again, like Amanda said, um, changing your diet, watching your cholesterol. If you have hypertension, you have to make sure that your medications are being managed well, that they're actually working. Mm -hmm. uh, blood pressure is a big one because you really don't know when you have high blood pressure. And you have to think of having a high blood pressure as having the pressure in some kind of um, plumbing system. And if it's too high, it's just gonna burst. Mm -hmm. So we normally do fluctuate our blood pressure and normally we have an, uh, a leeway between the high blood pressure of a stroke and our normal or what's considered normal. And with our daily stresses, like um, if you with pain or if you're in a traffic jam or if you're mad about something or if you're exercising, those will fluctuate. But if you start off with a high number, your leeway of fluctuation isn't really going to, um, you don't have a lot of room to fluctuate. Whereas if you have a normal blood pressure, then you can have those stressors during the day and you'll be fine. Okay. Um, having a good diet, not, not eating fat foods and, and taking care of, or exercising, that helps also okay. with- uh, So you talked about diet. Things. Is there like specific things to eat, not eat? Like just talk a little bit more about dietary issues. I mean, the typical things that people don't like to hear, you know, like stay away from the fried foods, um, try to eat lots of vegetables, uh, stay away from the salt, um, a healthy diet in general. I mean, you have to realize that cholesterol is produced by fat foods. So the fattier the foods are, that creates plaques that are gonna stick to the arteries and that causes the arteries to get smaller. So if you have clots, it's gonna clot easily or easier. Okay, so we'll talk about blood pressure management. And it's important, obviously, what's considered normal blood pressure? So a normal blood pressure, um, according to the American Heart Association, um, is at, is around 120 over 70. Um, they start defining high blood pressure around 130 over 80. And then um, stage two hypertension starts at about 140 over 90. It's really important to understand how to take your blood pressure. You need to be sitting feet on the ground, resting your arm with your with the cuff on at table height, um, something in like a sitting position like you would like we are with the table and your arm out. Um, I know a lot of people take their blood pressure, like my mom takes hers laying in bed. Um, you know, it's good though to have the right position and then to do it at all time and make sure your cuff fits properly. You know, for the smaller elderly patients, you wanna make sure you have a smaller cuff. Sometimes for us, we have to use pediatric cuffs um, because you wanna make sure you're getting the most accurate blood pressure. And again, hopefully you're taking it at the same time of the day. Yeah. Okay, know, that makes a difference. And you're not just, you didn't come back from a workout or you're not stressed or you're not in pain because that's obviously going to be a false reading. Okay, makes sense. Um, strokes can cause obviously emotional and behavioral changes depending on what stroke occurred in the brain is what I've heard. 
Um, how important is support for a patient who's upper stroke? I mean, I, I have some experience that, you know, having a father who had a stroke when I was in high school, so I understand um, all the changes that happen. Talk about that a little bit. The incidence of depression after a stroke is so high. And um, the American Stroke Association put a big push on finding support and resources for patients and caregivers um, a couple of years ago because they saw such a high incidence of suicide. And, you know, I noticed with COVID this past year, the difficulty in finding resources, especially for our elderly, mm -hmm. um, you know, survivors, because they aren't so savvy with Zoom and, um, you know, these online portals. And mm -hmm. um, I know we had a hard time with our own support group, you know, because not allowing people to come into the facility to find that support. Sure. Um, patients that have, or people that have, you know, their own, you know, a good community of people around them, friends, family, and um, they tend to do, of course, a lot better, you know, and it's important for those friends and family to notice if their loved one is, you know, crying more often, seems um, in a depressed state, you know, sleeping more often, um, not having the willingness to like get up and want to do anything. Having a stroke is a huge life change, you know, and you could go from having being completely independent to now being dependent. And so, you know, not only can the stroke affect your mood, but also the physical changes can affect how you feel in the day-to-day -day life. So it's really important that they find community support. There's so many great, and I know it's harder for the elderly, but to find online support um, in some manner, the American Stroke, Stroke Association has lots of resources that are out there. Um, Stroke.org has lots of resources. And now with the, some of the regulations lifting from COVID, um, you're seeing more and more um, in-person support groups opening up, which is amazing. Can you talk a little bit about um, support for the family too? I, I know, you know, in my own family, my mom became the caregiver, the primary caregiver. And, you know, like, there's a lot of physical that goes along with just the emotional and the behavioral changes, right? And speech and all the other things. Um, but talk a little bit about the family support. So there are support groups for families. Um, there are, I know we partnered with Dignity one year and did a caregiver and family, uh, or caregiver and, and stroke survivor um, camp where we took them up to Payson and the volunteer kind of, it was, it was great. And you got to like pamper the caregiver and the, the survivor. So the whole goal was to just give them a, a couple of days to be Taken care of. Taken care of because mm -hmm. they're always giving for themselves. It's really important for caregiver. Caregiver fatigue is a is a true thing. I listened to a podcast the other day that talked, it was talking about Alzheimer's, but it was talking about um, the that caregiver fatigue should be its own diagnosis because yeah. it really does create such a burden and such a how do I put it? It's such a stressor for that other person to constantly sure. care for their loved one. Some people uh, leave their jobs and just change their whole lives because yeah. they have to support that person. Right. Yeah. And, and it's physically wearing and people have hurt their, you know, the, the loved one can hurt their own physical person right. caring for them. And so it's important to, you know, try to find support where you can. 
um, reach out to others that are that are going through this through similar situations. Um, reach out to home health agencies to find support. I know sometimes financially it can be difficult, but reaching out to churches and you know anywhere you can to get some kind of assistance so that the caregiver themselves can take time for them for them because in the end you've got to look out for you. Sure, you can't you know, help the other person if you can't, you know, if you're in bad shape. Right. I think the other important part is it's important for them at some point to learn if if their their um, loved one is having trouble transferring or things like that. It's important for them to get um, trained on how to transfer so they don't actually hurt themselves too. So right. going and talking to a therapist at some point to teach them how to get, how to transfer them or, mm -hmm. or move them around if they need to and not get hurt themselves right. is a big um, concern for sure. them, I think. Yeah. Well, what's, what should somebody do if they've had a stroke or if their loved one has had a stroke? What, what's the first thing or next steps? Well, uh, we can't stress enough. Hopefully if they're having symptoms of a stroke, you need to get to a hospital as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, they need to diagnose it and hopefully stop it uh, from getting worse. Um, after that, once they've actually got have the symptoms that they have, ideally they should go to a rehab hospital as, as soon as possible because those, when you start teaching a person how to walk in, um, right after a stroke, you're, that's kind of the basis of relearning how to do everything. And it is so important to do it at an early stage because once you've um, learned how to do things and you learn the wrong way or you have bad habits, you, you can have um, spasticity, which is caused by like a really tight muscle because you're not using your muscles right. Mm -hmm. And that can be very painful. Um, but again, it's important to learn the basis of walking again and using your hands and swallowing and eating. And that is a lot easier to do in the first year than after. So um, going to rehab hospital, I would say, or getting any kind of rehab by any therapists um, is very important. Well, and the services in an inpatient rehab are definitely more than you could get in an outpatient setting. Sure. Um, you know, we, we find that, you know, services like speech therapy are, are very sporadic in an outpatient setting. Yeah. Um, and I know I, I wouldn't want to spend an extra day in a hospital either, but the short time that you can spend in an inpatient setting, um, for the life, for the learning and the lifetime that you'll have that knowledge to be able to take those exercises and that knowledge home, um, is huge. It really is. Yeah. The gains that a patient does in our hospital from two weeks or three weeks of therapy are just such a big jump and such a big initiative for them that will help them after. Mm -hmm. It is so important that they get this basis and this hospital does a great job because it's such an intense program that they do for these patients that they get so much further than they would if they just go home. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're lucky to have Encompass here in Mesa. So as we wrap up, talk about what you guys are doing for American Stroke Month. So we were trying to, um, we did, we were trying to, we did actually, we weren't trying to, we were trying. <laughs> they did. <laughs> we actually did a, um, Alice Fresca's um, 
Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo kind of event here at the hospital. We, we were raising money for the Stroke Association. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it went over really well. They sold, um, I'm going to call them juices because I'm as white as they come. Um, they sold juices. The ho- Everybody in the hospital loved it. They raised a lot of money that was donated to the American Stroke Association. And um, we're great. hoping next year we can get on um, back to the runs and the selling of the heart. And, um, you know, we've kind of missed out the last couple of years, well, this year and last year because of COVID. So hopefully coming next year, we can get back to our normal um, stroke awareness activities that we've done in the past. That's great. Well, I think that's really important. So what's next on the horizon for you guys? Hopefully we're hoping to host our own stroke camp um, between some of the other Encompass hospitals. Uh-huh. Um, and working on more of our measures for um, our stroke certification and um, looking into some research um, about blood pressure management and changes in blood pressure after a stroke. So um, I think we're doing a lot of great things here um, for our stroke patients. Wanting uh-huh. to educate the public and then also oh, yeah. get more of the cultural diversity into our hospital. Unfortunately, we've noticed that there are not a lot of um, Latin, Latin cultures or um, African-American cultures that come into our hospital as much as the white population. Okay. And we're wanting to reach out to the population, even, even the um, Native American population, there aren't a lot of those patients that come in here. Okay. And we're trying to reach out to, the, I think. Um, this year, we're going to have a big push for diversity. Yeah. Um, a lot of education for, um, you know, people out in the community about what inpatient rehab is, you know, a lot of culture, they like to take their family members home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it just may be a knowledge deficit. So we're hoping that if we can bring awareness mm-hmm. that um, what inpatient rehab can do and what it can do for the family members. And again, decrease that burden that the caregiver might have that mm-hmm. if, you know, their family member can get a little bit stronger or almost independent, it won't fatigue the family as yeah. much. And sure maybe that person could go back to work. Who knows what, what barriers you know they, they can diminish if they went to rehab. So we talked as a team and we really want to work on the diversity of our stroke program out in, in our community because we, we found that we have about an 80% Caucasian um, admission rate for our stroke patients. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we've got a great, place here to be able to reach out and if anything just bring awareness to the signs and symptoms of stroke you know and and even if we did anything just talk about stroke awareness when we're out in the community yeah so what what is we're backing up a little bit but what's that window because i know there's like a magic window that if you have some symptoms you can get to the hospital and get some help we'll talk about that window because i know that it's not real big right TPA, yeah, it's three hours. So um, a patient would need to be administered TPA within three hours. Mm-hmm. Now you have to be a candidate to get TPA. There's there's some criteria that these that the acute care hospitals look at, mm-hmm. um, and so that's why it's so important that patients get to the hospital as soon as possible. Right. Uh, uh, tissue plasminogen activator. It's a, it's like a super blood clot. I, I always tell patients it's the super blood clot disseminator. I think of a blood clot like yarn and where it pulls those fibers away to kind of help it help that blood flow, blood flow through your system. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I have seen TPA patients have described the miraculous things that it, it has done for them. Uh, I mean, it has its own risk factors, but they are working on making it safer and safer. Um, I've seen great things in the research that they've done. Um, and also extending the, the window time, the American Stroke Association has been doing a lot of research because places in rural areas that can't get to a stroke right. center, yeah. um, they had talked about extending that window to six hours for patients and, you know, for patients that are stable in a, but could go in a six hour window. Um, mm-hmm. So they're doing a lot of research on how to make TPA a stable, first step, first line um, for, you know, a majority of patients. That's great. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that, that there's even an option like that. You know, I think back in the day, you'd throw someone in aspirin and. Right. And hope. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) An aspirin and a prayer and hope (laughs) that they were okay. No, no kidding. Well, ladies, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys being on again with us. It's always good to get more information on what's happening and all the great work that you guys are doing at Encompass. We appreciate that. I look forward to our next visit and learn more about the um, things that you offer to our community. It's, it's really wonderful what you're doing. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Yeah. Good to see you guys. You too. Bye. Bye. This has been a Mesa Chamber of Commerce Inside Business Podcast. You can find all podcast episodes at iTunes, Spotify, or your own favorite podcast website. You can also find them online at mesachamber.org. Content of this podcast is copyright the Mesa Chamber of Commerce, unless otherwise noted.